you guys have experienced, you guys might have had this experience maybe walking through school when your normal route that you're taking hits a detour. I don't know if you ever had that experience when you're driving, all of a sudden the roads you're going on, it's closed down and there's signs, detours pointing you a different direction, maybe the hallway that you're normally going to, to class. I, I don't know, you know if that happens very often. That's, that's a terrible feeling. Um, it, it makes you anxious because you don't know really where you're going. You don't know how the, long the detour is going to take. You don't know. You're just trusting the signs to get you back to where you were headed. It can be frustrating because you know, it changes your whole schedule. If you're running late and hit a detour, man, it's game over. About three weeks ago, I left here um, on a Wednesday night. It was like 8.15, 8.30. I run down to my car because I have to drive to Tyler, Texas because I have to be at Tyler, Texas at 6 o'clock in the morning. So it's three and a half hours to Tyler. And I, I jump in the car. I'm headed I-35. And I'm looking at my GPS. And my GPS says I'm going to arrive at 12.05 a.m. Got to be at a restaurant at 6 in the morning for a meeting. And as I get past Salado heading towards Waco, I see all of the brake lights. And I-35 has come to a complete stop. I'm not talking about people are going slow. People are not moving at all. And so I pull up, and I'm sitting for a minute, and I, you know, I'm thinking, okay, there, there's, we're going to start going here in a second. And I'm watching the GPS time, my arrival time, get later and later and later. I sit there about 15 minutes. It gets up to 12.20. And I'm like, I'm really like, I don't know. I haven't moved anywhere. And I'm thinking, do I just park it and sleep and get up at four, you know, and hopefully, you know, I don't know if they clear it out and then people are just driving past me sleeping on I-35. And then I did what I said I would never do. I was the guy that left I-35 and drove through the grass to the, to the frontage road. I wasn't the only person. I mean, there were a ton of us headed that way because it was literally a parking lot. And so I'm looking and, and I'm like, okay, the frontage road is, is pretty clear. And I'm like, what a bunch of stupid people. They should have, everybody should have done this. I don't know why everybody's still sitting on I-35 until I discovered that the frontage road that I'm on is one of those rare frontage roads that doesn't keep going. It actually U-turns you, and you have no other option but to U-turn and start heading south back down I-35 further back into traffic. And I'm like, oh, no, uh-uh. I'm going to figure something else out. And so you can tell other cars are too, where everybody exits, and we're not getting back on I-35. There's no way. So we hang a right into some town where, like, it's so country, I'm sure I'm going to get murdered in the middle, you know, of the, of the woods driving through this back road. And I'm going through the town. And, I mean, there's a big, long line of cars. We're all doing this, trying to get And I'm watching my GPS, and, and I, and I kind of come up. And I'm like, okay, maybe I can cross over the highway, get on the access road. Nope. Access road's only going south again. So I turn around, I go further north through this town, and then I get to kind of dead end. The only thing you can do is get back to the access road, and it starts heading you south again. And at that point, I, I had this mix of emotions. Part of me wanted to, like, punch the steering wheel till the airbag went off, you know, and, and part of me just wanted to pull over and cry because I'm watching the time go, and I'm like, I, I'm now worse off than I was. By the time I get back down, I'm going to be back at the end of traffic, no hope. And so finally, I got to the point, I was like, okay, I, I, I was totally broken. I, no road rage was gone. I was just, it's over. I'll never get to Tyler. That's fine. And I'm like, I'm just going to get on the highway. Everybody else is like, forget this. And they're going back into the town again, trying to find another way. And I'm like, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to man up. And I drive. And now I'm on this access road that also dead ends into a U-turn 
but only U-turns north. So awesome. Everybody else is left. They're back in town. I'm the only person on the frontage road, and, there is no, and I'm passing all of these fools on I-35, and I'm watching my GPS time. It's like getting better now. You're like, yes, and I actually got to Tyler at a good time. But there was this moment in this detour where I said I wanted to cry. I, I, I wanted to yell at God. I wanted to offer my firstborn to him to do something. You know, I mean, if you felt that way, it's, it's terrible. Now, in life, if you're going down the road and you had two options, and one option, one lane says detour, and the other lane, there's a sign that says normal route, just like you always do. Nobody, nobody other than the criminally insane would get into the detour lane. I mean, no, I mean, no one's going to do that because of the frustration, the anxiety, the time. We're going to do life like we normally do as long as we can. But sometimes in life, you're forced into a detour. And I'm not talking about now driving the roads. I'm talking about life situations. There's sometimes in life where, where you're forced into the detour lane. Your life takes this, this change of, of, of direction, and there's nothing you can do about it. It might be an illness that you got really sick, and it took you months or maybe years to recover from, and it changed, it changed everything about your life. It could have been something a little smaller. It might have been you got you were you tried out for a sports team and you got cut and that kind of changed your social group and all of that. And it wasn't anything you controlled, it just happened. Some of you, like me, your parents went through a divorce or they might be going through a divorce. Nothing you can do about it, but your life's been pushed into the detour lane. It's gonna change. It's gonna slow down. There's gonna be some anxiety. But what if, what if there was actually a reason in life? to purposefully get out of the lane that's normal, that goes where you know it's going to go, what if there was a reason to purposefully shift into the detour lane? It makes no sense on the front. I give you that. But what if? We're talking about remedy for the next five weeks. It's going to end in Collide Impact Weekend. I'm going to give you a little heads up. Flyers are going out. The flyers have been printed on the flyers. They say you cannot do Collide Impact Weekend unless you're committed to the entire weekend. It says no time away cards. That's not true. They've changed that, but they've already printed the flyer. So no, you can. Ignore that part of the flyer. It's going to, this, this idea of remedy is going, to, is going to end in this weekend. And we're talking about for the next five weeks, healing a broken world, joining with God to bring the kingdom here, to go to a world that's broken and be a part of fixing it. And what I want you to understand tonight, and we're going to look at a passage of scripture that shows us this, sometimes being a remedy, if you're going to change the world, if you're going to help a broken world become whole, sometimes being a remedy requires a detour. Sometimes there's no way for you to be a remedy unless you take a detour. Let me give you an example. I'm going to use like the, the old youth minister illustration that every youth minister uses. I don't even know if it actually happens. Every youth minister I know, I'm guilty. You know, we like to talk about the new kids sitting in the cafeteria, right? I don't even know if, there's, if new kids sit by themselves in the cafeteria, but that's all we know to tell stories. Let's just assume the new kids in the cafeteria sitting by himself and you want to reach out. You want to be a remedy to somebody who's lonely. But you know, you don't have to think through this in depth. You know that if you go over and sit by him or sit by her at the cafeteria table, you're going to have to give up lunch with your friends. It's going to cost you something. That, that, that precious time during the school year, where, school day, where you're not in class, where you can hang out, you can talk, you can catch up, you're going to have to leave that 30, 45 minutes, whatever it is, behind to go sit with some guy you don't know. It's going to cost you. 
you also know that it's not gonna, you're not going to really befriend him like one time. It's going to cost you a couple of lunches. It's probably why you don't see a lot of people going to sit with the new kid if he really exists or not. The other option is, okay, hey, maybe I can invite him to come sit with us. Then I don't have to leave my friends. Maybe that's the solution. But you also know without thinking about it that if you invite him to sit with you for a couple of days in a row, you might find out day three or day four that he's a little bit socially different than the rest of your friends, right? He's a little bit socially awkward. And now he's sitting at your table three or four days in a row and all your friends are like, you got to do something. You know, they're like, you invited him. He's kind of weirding us out, you know. And, and, and so now your option is to like look at the new guy who you wanted to help and go, hey, bro, sorry, but you got to go back by yourself, you know, which you're not going to do. Or risk all of your friends going, all right, now it's the new kid in you. We're going to another town. You know all of these things could happen if you take the detour. So you're probably not going to do it. It's hard. The detour is always hard. There's always anxiety. It always takes time. But if being a remedy sometimes, not always, but sometimes requires a detour, would you be willing to take it? We're going to look at a passage of Scripture. And Jesus, it's in Luke chapter 10. If you've got a Bible, get there. If not, if you want to grab one, there's some back there. I'd love for you to read along with us. If uh, you've got a phone, you can, there's, a, there's a web address on your worship guide. It tells you that the verses will come there. Or you can use version; It'll take you there. But Jesus is having this discussion in Luke chapter 10. And he's talking about, he gets a discussion about loving God and loving people. And that's important to us because that's what we say we're here to do, love God and love people. So we want to lean in, pay special attention to this. And here's what happens. Luke chapter 10 Verse 25, it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus said to this guy, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. There's a lot of stuff happening here. Let's stop for a second. This lawyer comes up. Now, what the lawyer's job was for the Jewish people, his job was to interpret the Old Testament law. If you've ever been through the book of Deuteronomy, you've ever flipped through the Old Testament, there's a lot of things. Leviticus, the lawyer's job was to take when something happens in society, you know, people have a conflict, was to go to God's law and go, here's what God's law says. So here's how we apply it in this situation. Here's what you do. So he's an expert. This guy understands the Old Testament. He understands God's law better than anybody. Now, he's just not having a casual conversation with Jesus. He's got a motive. Look, so look in verse 25. What's his motive? You see it? What is it? You got a Bible. What's verse 25? What's, what's the motive? He, yeah, he wants to test Jesus. This isn't just like, hey, what's going on? He wants to test Jesus in front of everybody. Let's see if this teacher, this rabbi, is really everybody, everything he says he's going to be. So he says, Jesus... What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus knows what's going on, so Jesus flips the script on him. Jesus answers his question with a question. He goes, well, you're the expert. You're the person that's supposed to know the answer to this. How do you interpret the law? And so now the guy's like on the spot. And he says, well, love God and love people. And then Jesus throws this little zinger in there that we miss as we read it, but the audience would have got. Jesus says, do this and you'll live. See, this lawyer knew everything. He knew all about the law. He had all the answers. 
And he says, love God and love people. And Jesus says, basically, hey, it's great that you know that. You need to go do it. There's a guy, uh, I gotta look at his name. His name is Johnny Lutchner. He was a 29-year-old college student at the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. Now, he was a 29-year-old college student, but he didn't go back late in life. He went to college when he was 17. So he spent 12 years in college as a full-time student, a full load. You should graduate in college four to five years if you're going full-time. He was going 12 years, and then he finally got out of college. And they, they interviewed him in the local newspaper. I want to read you the quote he said of why he was leaving college after 12 years. He said, I'm just broke. I've got no more money. Trust me, if I had the money, I'd stay longer. The schedule's laid back. You're around all kinds of educated people. It's not the real world. Here's a guy who spent 12 years in college just like going to football games, playing intramurals. And basically what he said is, man, it's easy. It's not the real world. So I'm just going to stay here and learn, 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 learn. I don't want to go to the real world and have to get a job and do. Sounds like a great idea you know, on some levels, but that's what this lawyer is. He knows and he knows he's educated, but he's not in the real world. And Jesus says, you've got to go do. And then we look in verse, what's the next verse? 29. And, and now he feels trapped. He wants to justify himself. It says, but he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, well, then who's my neighbor? Because for this guy in the Jewish culture, a neighbor would have been somebody in close proximity or it would have been somebody that was just like him. And he's going, well, Jesus, you're challenging me now to go and love people to do it to my neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? Because I, I do do that. And Jesus goes into a story that is going to rock this guy's world and everybody listening. Look at verse 30. Jesus replied. He doesn't answer me. He tells a story. He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, this road, everybody knew it was called the, it was called the uh, like the trail of blood or the way of blood. It was something like that because it was this 17 mile journey kind of through the hills and the mountains. And it was known as a place where you would get, you could easily get robbed and things like that. Cause there's all kinds of places for criminals to hide. And it was, it was tough to travel on. So everybody knows this road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And Jesus brings it up. He says, the guy was going down that road and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Not crazy story to them. They would have understood that. He says, now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed on the other side. The priest walks down the road, sees this guy half beaten. He's almost dead. He's been robbed. He's naked. And the priest goes to the other side of the road and keeps going. And he says, so likewise, verse 32, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, see, a priest was a religious leader. A Levite was right underneath the priest. They were in charge of keeping the temple. And so they were still holy people. But, but he, Jesus kind of setting this up. There's a priest and there's the Levite. And everyone in the audience would have expected character number three in the story to be just a Jew. A priest, a holy person, a Levite right below, and then a regular Jew. And Jesus throws a curveball. And Jesus says in verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now, a Samaritan was hated by Jews. 700 years before, the nation of Assyria had come in and wiped out a part of Israel, and as they took people away and left people there behind, Assyrians, these Jews that lived in the northern kingdom, they started intermarrying with people of other faiths. And one of God's laws was, don't marry somebody that doesn't worship me. And these people did, and now they had kids, and they had kids. And so these Samaritans... They were viewed by the Jews as like half-breeds. And for, for a Jew, they, they considered dogs 
to be better than Samaritans. So when Jesus is telling the story, there's a, a, a priest and then a Levite, and everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Jesus goes, and a Samaritan, and everybody goes, <gasps> you know, like, what? How, how is the Samaritan the hero of the story? And Jesus goes on, and he's going to explain that the Samaritan of all people, he's the one that stops and has compassion and detours to be someone's remedy provocative story for Jesus' listeners. If you grew up in the church, you've probably heard it a thousand times. But for the first time here that Jesus is saying to it shocked them. It was shocking awe. It blew them away that a Samaritan would be the person who was neighborly. That the Samaritan would be the person that Jesus made the hero to show love. And what Jesus does is this. As he unpacks the story a little more, Jesus shows us what it means to be a neighbor. He shows us what it, need, what it, what it means to be a remedy. And Jesus says, sometimes to be a remedy, it's going to require a detour. You can't just pass along on the other side of the road, going about business, doing life as you always have. When someone has a need, you've got to stop. I will guarantee you, and again, it's a fictional story, but the Samaritan wasn't leaving on his journey going, I'm going to leave a little early just in case I find someone who got beat up, mugged, and is about dead. In fact, most people wouldn't have stopped because it wouldn't have been uncommon to go over to the guy that was, was hurt and to bend down to help him and find out it was a trap and you were the person that was about to get beaten and robbed. That's part of the reason why people are just heading on. There's going on, but the Samaritan risks his life. He takes the detour to be a remedy. Now look what happens next, because as we read through what happens next, I want to give you some application points. I want to give you some things that you can do starting this week so that you can be a remedy to your world. Well, first one's this, and we'll come back and look at it. The first one is this. Most of us in here, we need to ask God to change our perspective about the detours. Because again, we've said it, the detour is hard. Nobody wants to do it. But look what happens to this guy in verse 34, the very beginning. It says he went to him. The Samaritan goes over to him and he bound up his wounds. That means he kind of tied him off. What probably happened is this Samaritan had to tear his own clothes. That's an inconvenience. Nobody wants to do that. He has to rip his own shirt and he has to start bandaging the wounds. It says he poured oil on him and wine. The oil would have kept the guy's skin soft. The wine would have disinfected the wounds. But this isn't stuff the guy brought to heal somebody. It's his stuff. It's going to inconvenience him. It's a real detour. He didn't just stop and call like Jerusalem's 911. There's a guy. He stops and he gets involved, inconvenienced to make a difference. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke about this passage. I put the quote up and he said this. I love this. Talking about changing your perspective. He said, the first question the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the good Samaritan reversed the question, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? That's a change in perspective. That's asking God to go, God, show me how the detour provides a remedy. There's a guy named Clive Collins, 65 years old. This story, this, this is him. It's happened in England, and it's crazy. He he's, pulls up on the side of the road in his car, and he goes out to the back of his car to put something in his trunk. And as he puts something in his trunk, he steps back, and there's a manhole cover on the ground, and it's not fully set in, and it tips, and this guy falls into the manhole. Now, the manhole's only, I mean, the hole that he falls into is only five foot deep. 
So part of his body is still above ground. But when he fell, it was kind of in and hit stuff. He ended up really getting beat up. At the end, he needed 47 stitches. He had two broken ribs. He had chipped his tooth and he had pulled a muscle. So, I mean, it's not like he just slipped and fell. I mean, he had like a, a tumble and he's in his 60s, really hurt. But as he kind of comes to, he's standing up in this hall. And so part of his body's above ground. And he's asking people to help him, yelling out to people because he's fallen in. And he said 15 to 20 people passed by and wouldn't even make eye contact with him. Just kept on, hurt him, just kept on going. A lady pulled up behind his car where he fell in. She pulled up her car, gets out. She's standing right next to him. And he's talking to her. He's going, ma'am, can you help me? I've fallen in. I'm injured. And she acts like he doesn't even exist. As a car goes by, he's got his arm out and he kind of waves at a car as the guy's kind of driving by slow and he kind of waves and the guy waves back and keeps driving. <laughs> True story. Like, what? Finally, he was able, he had his phone and he was able to call, get a hold of his phone and dial the England's 999, which is 911, and ends up getting help. But here's a guy who's in desperate need. He's like this, this guy that's on the side of the road and the priests and the Levites are walking all by because to stop... To detour is going to cost them time. It's going to cost them energy. And they would just rather pretend that he doesn't exist. Now, some of you guys are my heroes. Like Victoria, I think, I think your last name is Stefan, Dax Olson, Ben Tapp, Chloe Lester's parents, Ashley Heron's mom, Joshua Thayer, Calvin Miller, Amanda Montgomery's dad, Riley Stokes' parents, Amy Solheim's mom, Hannah Newman's parents. Because when you came in this morning or this evening, there was a car right out here with a lady there with her hood up. She really didn't have any car problems. We just planted her out there. She's one of our women's Bible study leaders. And we just wanted to see how many people of the 140 of us that come on a Wednesday night, how many of us would see a lady with, her, with, with car problems and would stop to try to help? How many of us would detour on our way in to be a remedy? Those people that I just read your names off or your parents, you guys are the ones that did. Hannah Newman's parents stopped twice on the way in and on the way out to make sure she was okay. But shouldn't that be, some of y'all sure, came, she was probably already gone, some of you came the other direction. But shouldn't that be, shouldn't that be the norm for us? To see a need, someone in the ditch on the side of the road, and detour to stop and help. For some of it's not. We had to get here. We're in a hurry. And we need to ask God, God, change my perspective on the detour. Here's the second thing. The second thing is this. Some of us, Go ahead and hit that up there. Some of us need to say no to some things that we're doing so that we can say yes to some things that allow us to be a remedy. Follow me on that. I put it up there. Say no to something so that you have time to say yes to something that can be a remedy. Most of us in here, myself included, we are so busy. We don't have a whole lot of time to invest. We don't have a lot of time for a detour. And so some of us probably need to look at our schedules and go, you know what? I just need to say no to some things so that I'm available when God says go. So when God says stop, do this, that I'm not always in a hurry. That even at that moment, maybe it's, if it's a friend you need to invest in that you don't have time to, that you say no to some things so that you can say yes to them. There was a study done at Princeton University. This is really interesting. They took seminary students. Seminary is like where you go 
if you want to be a pastor after college. So these guys are priests and Levites. They took these seminary students and they had them in two groups. They wanted to test a bunch of different things. And they had some of them prepare to give a talk about the Good Samaritan. And then they had some other ones prepare to give a talk about something else. And then after they got their talks ready, two different groups, they told them, you've got to go, pre- you've got to go deliver your talk to a group of people. Now, in both groups, they had one, some people out of each, out of each group, they, they had some different timing. Some of them they told, you've got to go right now. They're waiting on you. You just finished your, your talk on the Good Samaritan or you just finished your talk on whatever their talk was. You got to go. People are waiting. They've been there for five minutes. You're actually running late. You got to go and deliver it. And then the other people, they told them they had some time. You got plenty of time. You got to be there in an hour. But go on and head over now. Well, along the path from where they prepared their message to where they were going to deliver it, they put a guy, stage like we did, sitting in the middle of the alley, hunched over and moaning. And what they studied was how many people would stop to help the guy in the alley. And they wanted to find out, if you studied the story of the Good Samaritan, were you more likely to stop than if you didn't? If you're in a hurry, would you be more likely to stop than if you weren't? Or vice versa? Was it the people who had time and read the Good Samaritan? Or what? So they wanted to do this. Thing. And you know what they found out? Only one thing mattered. The only people who stopped to help were the people who had time. Didn't matter if you studied the Good Samaritan or not. If they had time, 65% of the people stopped. Only 10% of everybody else did. Now, guys, what the research tells us is this. Basically, if you're too busy, you won't take a detour to be a remedy. And you're the busiest generation I've ever seen. You have so much stuff going on. Every minute of your life is planned out. That's dangerous on a lot of levels. That's a whole nother message to talk about a Sabbath and a whole, lot of, whole nother message to talk about being able to pause during your day and just spend time with God. Whole other messages, whole other series. But what we know is statistics and science tells us if you're too busy, you won't be a remedy. That's one of the reasons that when you get the Collide Impact Flyer, Weekend Flyer that I was telling you about, that we have to change it and say we will give time away cards. Because if we didn't, most of us would be too busy to serve our community for a Saturday. Because we just go, go, go. And it's hard, but some of you need to say no to some things so that you can say yes to the things that God wants you to be a remedy for. And here's the third thing. Asking God to change perspective, saying no to some things. And this doesn't apply to everybody yet, but it will one day. Set aside a percentage of your money to be a remedy. Look, look at this guy. I want to go back and conclude the story here because I skipped some of it. He went to him and bound up his wounds, verse 34, pouring on oil and wine. Then you talk about time. He set him on his animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. It's a 17-mile road. The guy takes the injured guy, lays him up on his donkey or whatever animal he has, and he walks the rest of the way. Whatever time he had is now gone. He, he's, in, he's going, you know what? I've said no to some things that are important to say yes to this. And then you talk about money. Look at this. Verse 35. And the next day he took out two denarii. That was the equivalent of two days wages. If you had like a minimum wage job and you made eight bucks an hour and you worked, that's 125 bucks. I have an $8 an hour job. Two, two days he pulls out and he says, 
He gave it to the innkeeper. He says, take care of him. And look at this. And whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. It's not just two days wages. He says, if it, take care of this guy. I'll reimburse you whatever the cost. And then Jesus says, which of the three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Why a percentage? Why a percentage of your money? Well, one, in the Old Testament, the, the, the Jews pulled out a tenth. It was called the tithe. And they set it aside for the temple. The Jews actually also pulled out all kinds of other money and other percentages to give to God's work. But the church through the New Testament has kind of kept that strategy. And you hear people talk about a tithe as a tenth, uh, following that Jewish lead to give a tenth of what God has given us back to the local church to, to be a remedy. Now, if you babysit or you have a job, one way that you prepare your heart to be a detour is to take a percentage of your money and set it aside. Maybe it's just 1%. Pull 1% away and work towards 2% and work towards 4%. Work towards being a person who says, not only will I say yes with my time, but I'm going to say yes with my resources. Because somewhere along the way, you're going to have a chance to detour. And like the Samaritan, you're going to find out that you've got some money that can do a great deal of good to change a broken world. I'm going to close out watching a video clip of a movie. We're not going to watch the whole movie. I want you to watch this video clip from the movie Robots. Afterwards, I'm going to say one other thing. The band's going to come up and we're going to sing one more song. Go ahead and roll it. See a need, fill a need. And the kid says, all I've got to do is look for a need. It's not quite true. But this week, my prayer, and over the course of this month as well, but this week, that you will look for a need and fill a need to be a remedy. But remember, it might require a detour out of your life. It might cost you time, energy, and resources. But our prayer is going to be that you make the commitment to do that.